Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joshua. Hello, Joe. Oh my gosh. That was different. Yeah, we're switching it up. That's a, that's a, what do you call it? That's a foreshadowing clue. Yeah. Dear listener to uh, the next four weeks of Fright School in which Joe will be doing his, uh, doing a capstone project. So here's the first episode of Joe doing his, uh, your master's? I don't know what to call this. My um, <laughs> international baccalaureate. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm i still don't know why we didn't think to do this all these years, you know, at least after the first year. But here we are. We're doing it now. So yeah, we're, 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 we're flipping it. For the next four weeks, yeah. Joe is going to take us on a journey. He has chosen four films and... Uh, built a, a backbone for it all to connect and to and to discuss so we'll that's a little little foreshadowing for our later conversation so i'm very excited super fun but uh lovely yeah anything you want to say i'm you know just it's gonna be fun it'll or it'll crash and burn and these will be the worst episodes we have so um we'll, we'll get, see we'll get comments that say stick to what we know Right. You know, we don't want Joe to have any substance or say in, <laughs> in the content. Um, so, yeah. But yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited as well because I actually really like uh, what you've chosen to do. And it's going to be super fun. So, we'll get into that. Uh, look at this fun bottle opener I got. It's a coffin. And look, it has this, like, cross on it. Very apropos uh, for today. Yes, more foreshadowing. But it's a bottle opener. Nice. Yeah, it came with, I um, got a, a shelving unit that I put in the makeup closet there because <laughs> I need more I need more room for shit. Uh, and it was a coffin shape, and it came with a coffin-shaped uh, like brush holder, uh-huh. and that was like an extra prize just tossed in. I think they're missing an opportunity to put this magnet on this as well, so you can keep it on the fridge. I know. That is a very good point, actually. I'm not even going to use it, though. I just want to kind of have it sitting around on a shelf for somebody to pick up and be like, what the fuck? And they're like, oh, it's a bottle. What? What's happening? Joshua, you're fucking weird. True. Exactly. If if a bottle opener that's a coffin with a cross on it, like, is the straw that breaks the camel's back of them saying that you're fucking weird, right. they're obviously not paying any sort of attention to the room in which it's in. That's true. To the house in which that room resides. Yeah. To the, you know, nexus of evil on which the land sits, (laughs) on which sits the house. Uh, That was delightful. Um, You just like made that up right off of your head. I sure did. Or else you've been like holding on to it for a while. Um, Joe, look at what I've done. I've blocked myself in. I left my water way over there. Can you reach that? I don't think you can, <laughs> I can. can you? I mean, if I get up. And... Oh, well, but I could have gotten up, but that's okay. Thank you. Dear listener, what's happening is, is I filled up my water bottle, you know, because I need to replenish my liquids sometimes throughout the, throughout the fright school chat. Um, all my, all my talking 
you know, I just, I just let all, I all the water. I didn't know just, human blood came and clear. I know, right, exactly. Uh, but because of the way we're situated, I'm very blocked in. So, you know, I've got a mic stand, got all kinds of stuff. I am more blocked in than Joe was. So thank you for reaching over there and giving me my, my bottle so I may stay quenched. My thirst may stay quenched throughout this arduous process. <laughs> Of listening to you rattle on about a horror film. Well, um, I can tell you as someone who's done it for 199 episodes, <laughs> it doesn't get any easier, Joshua. Oh so. my gosh, is this our 200th episode? This is our 200th episode. Oh my gosh, Joe. Then that's, this makes it even better that we're like flipping the script for a month. Like I just have, a celebration. I, I was expecting a cake. Yeah. I was expecting balloons. Um, a, a An edible arrangement. Listen, dear listener, you know, if each of you gives one dollar, <laughs> I can get Joe a cake. That's a yes. happy 200. Uh, that's true. Oh my gosh, we we should like, we're gonna have yeah. to prepare. Something. And if 200 of you give us ten dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> then we can just coast and, and you know. take that money willingly, right? And, and do and, and do things, pocket it. <laughs> We should, we, uh, this is actually the beginning. This is, you know, this, uh, we won't, not to get into what we're going to talk about in a minute, but, you know, this is where we're going to institute, like, fright school tithing. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you're, was it 10%, 20%? 10%, I think, is the tithe, but, yeah. you know, I like that. If it's just, a, you know, a couple bucks, that's fine. You know, throw it in our tip jar, it's fine. Keeps us, keeps us, uh, keeps us working, keeps us doing this. That's not true. I mean, that, you know, it doesn't keep us working. I don't know what I mean. Um, but it means that we can do stuff, you know, yeah. like traveling and, you know, yeah. seeing, seeing folks and coming out and visiting you wherever you live. We'd love to love to do that. Come yeah. to cons in your area. We'll show up with a check and it's one of your checks and you're going to sign it to cash for us. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, anyways, um, shameless self-promotion and plug for... Uh, uh, Fright School Inc. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, anyways, what uh, what have you been up to this week? Watch anything uh, good, fun, delicious, delightful? I feel a little paralyzed by how much new stuff is out there that I want to see. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm a little like. paralyzed because it's all stuff that I like. Outside of the things that are streaming, like Moon Knight. Um, which I really want to see and some other things. It's been very, um, like, I want to see everything everywhere all at once uh, by the Daniels or by Daniels. Yeah, I want to see that too. It looks really, really good. Um, I kind of just If nothing been, else, bizarre. It just looks like a bizarre little trip. Yeah. Um, I, I, otherwise, I've just been kind of hanging out with people in person, um, making time for the folks that uh, have... Uh, you know, we've managed to stay connected in the in, uh, during the virus, during our time of the virus. So it's been nice to be in community with people in person and share meals and stories and hug people. And um, I recently, uh, I recently came to the realization that um, I re- I have finally remembered how to give a good hug. Um, for because for the longest time, you know, people always tell me I give good hugs, and then we had COVID and couldn't hug anybody. Uh, and then when I started hugging people again, I just like it felt weird every single time. And so, I recently remembered how to do that again. 
that is, you know, very sentimental. So uh, not our brand uh, by any means, but yeah. So there we go. I think that's really special, you know, that people, um, you know, they want hugs from you, Joe, and they're very excited mm-hmm. to, to be able to get them again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was looking, somebody posted on uh, Twitter earlier. Um, Julianne Marie S. The Jewel Marie. Looks like she's a writer. Um, po- uh, she's written for Bloody Disgusting, other other things. You can find her on Twitter at the Jewel Marie. T-H-E-J-U-L-M-A-R-I-E. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she posted between X, Scream, Fresh, Master, Northman, Nope, Black Phone, Disappointment Boulevard, Halloween Ends, and Smaller Indie, Speak No Evil, Hatching, etc. 2022 is shaping up to be an awesome year for horror filmmakers slash genre movies. Um, and I saw that earlier and I was like, oh man, there's so much I need to still watch. <laughs> like there's stuff out that like I, I do really, really want to get to. Um, there's stuff going to DVD that like, or, or direct to streaming that I'm like, I, I, I'm actually kind of waiting for a lot of stuff to go to streaming. Yeah. But that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I, um, I watched master. Did we talk about that on the last show? No, I but don't I think so. Well, no, I talked about it when I watched it for, um, Sundance. Sundance. Yeah. 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 Uh, I did now, check it out. Uh huh. I did. Um, I, you know, I don't know how much I want to talk about it because we may want to like do it at some point. Let's just talk about it. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't want to like get like too, too into the weeds on it cause there are other things. Um, but, uh, and because I do want to do a deeper dive into it in the future, but, uh, man, it was a strange trip, you know? Uh, I really enjoyed it. The acting was really great. I do wonder about, um, like it, it had a lot going on in it that I'm still not sure what we, what was the takeaway, mm. you know, to some mm-hmm. degree. Um, I also wonder who it was made for. Uh, I read some reviews about it, and again, we we can get more critical into it in in, in a future episode. Um, but you know, there was sort of there was a lot of critique from um, like black horror writers about like feeling like it was something for white people to watch to be like, you know, wow, this is so horrible the way people are treated. But they also felt some of the, um, and again, I, I'll have resources and stuff for the future. So this is just off the cuff, you know, but there was like conversation that like the way the actresses interacted with each other didn't feel authentic, uh, especially in those sorts of spaces, mm-hmm. uh, they felt you know. And again, that's some that's like one person's you know view, or you know, a few different like mm-hmm. writers that I read, like their view of like the film. So not everybody. Obviously, people are not monolithic. Um, you know, sometimes the story is just a story, and this is the story we're telling. Yeah. But there were just things that were being critiqued about, like whether it was actually whether it was an authentic experience or not. But on but on top of that, regardless of the racial politics at play in it, especially in higher education and in academia, which we all know is fraught with horror boldness, um, horror caucasity. I just was, it was like it's a ghost story. It's not a ghost story. It's like a trippy like psychological thing or maybe it's not you know and then the ending it was just kind of like oh okay well it's over (laughs) so it's just a really strange Mm -hmm. 
tr- for me to watch. Yeah. So I think I said all that when I watched. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, you may yeah. have. I'm sorry. But no, 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 yeah. you're good. <laughs> that, I mean, it makes sense because, yeah, we're both kind of watching it probably from similar perspectives on these things. So there was mm-hmm. part of me that's like, ah, I don't know what this movie is for. But I love, um, what's her name? Um, Regina, Regina Hall. Yeah, Regina Hall. She's uh, she's so good. I really enjoyed her in it. I really liked everybody that was in it. I liked all the actors and stuff and the way that they were. It was just a, it was just a weird... It was a head trip, so <laughs> I, it, I need to watch it again. It wanted to be a lot of things. It did. It really did. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people seem to like it, and it's doing well, so hey, good for it, right? You know? Yeah. Missed opportunity to come out during Black History Month, if you, to be completely honest. Right. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was what it was. Yeah, yeah. But I, I am looking forward to rewatching it and, you know, maybe having a deeper... Let it sit out in culture for a bit and get a little bit more distance so, you know, we can uh, talk about it from a, you know, a different point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did have some... I mean, there were definitely some moments that were creepy, though. I will say that. Like, there were some moments that made, like, the hairs on my arms stand up a bit. And I love that because it is so, like... For me, it's so rare to find films that do that. You know, like when we talked about the strings last week, like there were some moments in that that were like really creepy and I just don't get that that often. So, you know, even if it's in like, you know, a film that's not great and I'm not saying either those are great, but it's like if you can like get me, you know, a little bit, like if I can jump, if I can, you know, it's a little exciting because it's just, you know, I've just seen so many horror films that almost all of them, you can tell what's coming and what's going to happen. So a lot of uh, archetypal stuff. Um, what else? Uh, I did go see Morbius. Yeah, you did. I did. <sighs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, I, well, I did, co- I commented, you know, on my post and it, it's still true. Like I, I can't really tell when those movies are good or bad. Cause I just have such a low bar, like a low expectation mm-hmm. for like superhero type movies. All I need is like, did I escape? You know, did I go into some kind of crazy fantasy land mm-hmm. and didn't think about, you know, that the world is caving in on itself and, you know, all this stuff. I'm very, very anxious about my um, interview coming up for this um, therapy program. You, so, like That's been on my mind a lot. And, you know, every time the world gets a little quiet, that creeps up, you know, like, ooh, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to you're going to fuck it up, you know? So I didn't think about that for two hours and it was really lovely. It was just such a bonkers movie and it's like a vampire superhero. So like, duh, I'm going to see that. Uh, Also, I had um, uh, subscribed to like the A-list thing or whatever, you know, where you get three movies and it was the trial. So I only paid 99 cents. So I basically like got the movie for free. So I didn't pay for it. So I mean, that that. is the greatest lesson of all. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm not too mad at it. It was it was what it was. I mean, I I laughed out loud a couple times in it, you know, like just at the ridiculousness of what was happening, which also brought me joy. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. So. It was a matinee you went to. Yeah, I saw it at like 11:30, and were then you I went the and only, got a manicure and a pedicure. Were you the only one there? No, there was like 12 of us. Was there anyone else laughing, or were you the only one? I think it was just me. It was just because some of the ridiculous... And they show like some of it in the trailer, like when he gets out of the helicopter, and they're like, do you need a doctor? He's like, I am a doctor. It's like... It's just so funny. There were moments like that in it, you know? That were just like... 
ridiculous. It's like it's like Mad Libs for a script, right? Yeah, like, we know I mean, it needs to, some to go degree, there. Yeah, it was just you know, but it also felt very rushed. Like you know, I mean, they get to like all that stuff really fast and. There was just, again, a lot kind of happening in it to, like, set a story, like, set a base. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will say this. I don't know if you saw, like, on Twitter or, like, on social media. There was, like, um, quite a few posts that it was fake. And I don't know if it's because it was, like, the April Fool's Day release or whatnot. But there was, like, I saw several tweets, like, you know, from people of, like, I don't know why people are talking about this movie. It's not real. It's fake. Like, there was a whole, like, Morbius isn't real thing that I kept seeing. And Morbius truthers out there. Right, exactly. You know, um, <laughs> so, which, I mean, again, I think it's just like people being, you know, people, but I, I thought it was pretty funny. So, and this was before April Fool's. This wasn't like the day of the release, mm-hmm. just something I'd seen a few weeks ago. So I actually mm-hmm. was looking it up because I was like, what if this is like a whole, like, you get there and it's actually marketing ploy awful. for Jared Leto. Um, but as I'm sitting there, it had like five hours of trailers. It felt like it just kept going. I'm like, is this whole movie just going to be trailers? I mean, there were like 10 trailers attached to it, plus all the ads and stuff. So it kept going and going and going. And I'm looking at my watch and it's like, or at my phone, it's like, you know, the movie's supposed to start at 1130. It's noon. Still hasn't started. We're still <laughs> like previews and shit. I was like, what is happening? So I, di- I had like a moment where I was like, maybe we have been fooled. And maybe we're going to walk out and they're going to laugh and give you back your money. But then the movie came up. It'll just be like 90 minutes of trailers. And yeah, I, was, I don't know what's happening, but it was going on and on. It really, for a moment, had me going like, maybe this isn't real. <laughs> but again, I mean, I not really. But I mean, it, it was going on for a while that I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, start the fucking mm-hmm. movie. Like, mm-hmm. I'm tired of this. I've seen enough trailers. I will come back to your theater, AMC. I promise. I will see something else. Just did you recite the AMC prayer? What's that? You know the Nicole Kidman. Movie? Oh, <laughs> heartbreak, heartbreak does feel yeah. better in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did. That was one of the trailers. That was like, or the not trailer, but that was like the last thing they showed before they got to the you know final presentation or whatever uh, future. Presentation. This comedian uh, Naomi Paragon, she was at a screening and. She at an AMC and they handed her, like, I, I think it was a private screening. And so, whoever was putting it on handed everybody the like, like the words to it. And so, when she did it, they were all saying it like it's the national anthem. And it's, it's hilarious. That is hilarious. I would like to, uh, I'd like to see that. So, definitely send me that because that is some funny shit. <laughs> we enjoyed having you guys over to play Pinochle. I was going to say, like, it was, it's so nice. And yeah. I, I, I apologize that, you know, every time we do this, uh, you have to like teach us for the first five minutes of what Pinochle is again. Well, but it's been like two years, so it's yeah. okay. It's totally fine. Like, that was our first time since like literally like March 13th, 2020. No, it was our second time because we did do one last year. It had been at least a year. Oh, I don't remember us playing Pinochle since then. Yeah, we totally did. Oh, man. Well, whatever. Still, it's been a long time. Yeah. So, and Pinochle, it's not easy. So, you know, you got you got to refresh. Uh, but we whooped their asses, so it's all right. Like you and I, when we partnered up, we kicked mm-hmm. uh, little Jimmy Kins and little Sam Squinch's butts. So that's what matters. So there you go. Ultimately, yeah. And Jeffrey's been playing. You know, for all thousand years he's been alive. <laughs> so 
Like we, <laughs> he met John P. Knuckle. He's when, good. Yeah, yeah, he's a good player. So to to beat him, it's, I mean, again, as as is my brand. Like P. Knuckle is not spades, but I do have my mind for spades. Yeah. So once I figured out, once I figured out how the scoring worked, and the strategy behind like the tricks and stuff, I'm like, okay, I think I know how to like mess this up for the other team now. Yeah. Um, and I played some cool. I played a good hand. You did. No, I think um, I think everybody did. You know, well, at least once. That it's one game. Uh, that that one. Uh, that one round where I played a really good hand, but you know, we we went. So then we went from being like negative thirty something to negative four, which was yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, yeah. It was super fun. So and it was nice. It was such a normal thing to do that you know we never get to do or haven't gotten to do in a long time. I know. So. And I can't wait. Like we need to really like. Again, this is us like <laughs> having meetings and setting up schedules for future episodes. <laughs> but we we do need to um, uh, we do need to like figure out how to make that more regular because uh, it was it was just a ton of fun. Yeah, and also we got to like you know we got to sing Evita at the both of them. That's right. We watched Moulin Rouge and Evita. It was our it was our dying heroines uh, musical night mm-hmm. along with that. And yeah, I it was so fun to see their horrified faces. But also, I have to say, not only were they horrified at times, just, you know, because, but there were also moments of like, wow, you just said all those words. Because Avita is wordy. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that, you know? It's a lot. And there are moments where it's like rapid fire. It's like Sondheim level for Andrew Lloyd Webber for the amount of syllables crammed into four bars. The, The look on Jeffrey's face when I like sprung up from my seat and said show business kept us all alive since 17 october 1945 yeah he was <laughs> i was, was like, what? he was like i don't know he was like aghast and also impressed yeah that's exactly it so i mean hey there's not you know where like how often are you going to see that see people sing almost the entire avita score every so often here only in this place yeah you know heartbreak in a place like this yeah. let us know if you want to see that uh dear listener maybe we can make that happen that'll be our like first <laughs> twitch stream is that we're we're doing evita we're gonna watch evita and like sing to it i will say that i wish i would have put on the captions though because sometimes oh, you, need, yeah. you know like because there are a lot of words yeah. in that so sometimes uh, we need it but for for not having the lyrics and just letting it roll yeah and also like good. me i've not like read the lyrics it's all just been from listening to right. it but it was so funny because like I realized that I had been saying a line incorrectly because you it was um it's uh it's in the beginning it's in the opening song it's uh what does he say like, instead of ideas you know um instead of government we had a state instead of ideas we had a prima donna's rage right mm-hmm. is that what it is yeah. I had no idea what he said I said instead I used to go just like yeah that was fun. It was good times. So, you know, whatever. Maybe that's a non-horror thing we can do. Uh, You know, just like, where's a screening of Evita happening? Can we just stand up and sing the whole thing? Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll do it like Rocky Horror. We'll like shadow cast it. Yes. um, People would love that. It's like five hours long. Yes. (laughs) I think my my favorite part is before we, as you were going to, as you were putting it in the DVD player, um, (laughs) Jeffrey was dealing cards and we were both going, Evita! And Jeffrey and James looked at each other like, what have we done? What is about to happen? What have we agreed to? Mm -hmm. (sighs) 
But you know, Jeffrey got to pick Moulin Rouge. He wanted to watch it. So, yeah. you know, sorry about it. It gets really like once she once she has relations with the Duke or, you know, once it gets to the Hindi sad diamonds of it all, I really stop paying attention because it just uh, gets really dark. Sad. Gets really sad. Yeah. It's true. It's a sad. Um, it's sad. It's the sad. last great number is the show must go on, and and then you're done. And then I'm done until yeah. the very end. All right. Well, as always, we fooled around long enough, Joe. Let's get to talking about this fucking weird movie. So we will be <laughs> right back, dear listener, with a conversation about the devils. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and We horror. can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and ugh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right. So, wow, this is weird. Me talking at the beginning of each half. This is very, very strange. Um, so, folks... Uh, it's been 200 episodes and just like uh just like the creeper every 200 episodes uh i come up and resurrect myself and you know do things to justin long um no <laughs> so what we decided to do is that we're we're taking um it is the uh post spring break uh, commencement is upon us and so now we are having um, our own version of that here at Fright School. We're going to be doing um, like a Fright School capstone course, capstone lecture, if you will. And um, this was all inspired recently. I won't get into what inspired it because that'll play out later, but it was all recently inspired. And I went to Joshua and I said, you know what? I really would love to do something around this, this particular topic. And Joshua said, well, good, let's do it that way. You'll do a literature review pick movies um, and uh, pick movies and I will approve them and then you will run run the show. So here we are. So this is, um, we're doing The Devils from 1971, Ken Russell's The Devils. It is uh, a film in the genre, in the subgenre of Catholic horror. So then films for the next month are going to be around the theme of Catholic horror. Um, I grew up Catholic. I grew up very Catholic. Um, when I was 18 years old, I actually uh, became certified to teach the catechism of the, of, uh, I almost said the United States, um, catechism of uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, to confirmation students. You remember all that? Uh, the like catechism? The stuff for it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cool. I, I mean, I remember enough. Like, right. you know, it's, it's interesting because, like, the actual catechism book is, like, very, it's very thick and there's a lot in there, but. I remember a lot of what is needed in order to be a teacher for it. Very cool. Um, which is why I like I when I found out that there was like a whole like <laughs> their whole section of uh, sect, if you will, of uh, horror that specifically deals with particular themes with as it relates to Catholicism and 
and all that. I thought it was really interesting. And so here we are. So this is, this is, this next four weeks is going to be intensely personal. There'll be a lot of anecdotes about uh, my life and, and uh, things that I grow with and believing. But I, I also know that like in Joshua's capable hands, uh, I feel good enough to talk about all that. Good. I'm excited. I'm excited. I get to take, you know, pretty much a break for the next four weeks. I don't, I'm not looking up nothing. Uh, that's not true. I actually read a whole bunch of articles about this film in preparation for the conversation, but I do my homework. I mean, you do your, if, if there is one thing that can be counted upon, it is that you do your homework. Yeah. Well, I should say I don't always do the best of my homework, but I do try. Yeah. So. <laughs> I just don't, you know, because I know some listeners may be like, uh, Joshua. Uh, Joshua did not. Uh, What's that actor's name again? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're talking about the devils. We're talking about, um, it's, uh, Ken Russell, writer and director, Ken Russell of Tommy, (laughs) the who's Tommy. Um, what else did he do? He did some other, he did some other weird things. Um, um, well, I mean, you took Tommy was going to be what I talked about. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's done like Altered. women in love was like yeah. his big one in 1969. He actually, he was nominated, uh, at the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, um, for that, even though I know we just talked about <laughs> how little we care about that, but, uh, but it's all, thing. it's good trivia from a trivia standpoint. Yeah. What's this other Litsomania musical mm-hmm. film, another musical film. He did an Elton John music video, altered States, mm-hmm. uh, the layer, the white worm, which we've not watched yet, but we, we probably will get to that at some point. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's done lots of things, but, uh, this is definitely in his like, weird period of the seventies. <laughs> I mean, this whole, <laughs> this whole thing is in the weird period of the seventies. Um, also, sure. I mean, like y'all, it's got like names, names in here. Well, I mean, just like one big name, top billing, Vanessa Redgrave, yeah. um, as sister Jean, 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 maybe Jean, 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 Jean. Oh yeah. It also takes place in France. So you yeah. get ready to hear Joshua's French come out. <laughs> Jean des Anges. So, yeah. Jean of the Angels or whatever. Jean, Jean. Jean Angel is what, it, what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also had playing uh, Father Urbain, or, uh, Urban Grandier, uh, Oliver Reed, who I knew the moment he spoke, I was like, is he in Gladiator? Um, yeah, he plays uh, Proximo in Gladiator. It was his last film. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there are lots of, there are other people in this that we definitely know, um, old, like um, Gemma Jones, who was in Harry Potter, and uh, mm-hmm. she was in uh, Ammonite, which I just watched. I didn't mention that in the first section. I finally watched that. I need a lesbian period drama every now and again. We, you know, we do only get one a year, so got to make sure you watch I it. thought we get one in a lifetime. Well, we did have Portrait of the Lady on Fire, like, uh-huh. la- you know, two years ago. So I don't know, whatever. Every award season. Yeah, so you get at least one. Um, Murray Melvin, Michael Gothard, like these, there there are other people in this that have gone on to do other things. Um, you know, especially like we would know them now. I mean, this film was made, what, 51 years ago? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. 71. Jesus. Uh, I. Um, so essentially what this film is about is, <laughs> I mean, what is this film about? So uh, there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on. It is, it's definitely horror, uh, from the, from the sense of like the, 
from like a torture sense, from a graphic violence standpoint, oh, there's yeah. a, a very lot of very yeah. horror, but very existential, very existential. Um, it's also really um, <laughs> there's a lot. It's like it's also part like political thriller, yeah, um, which is really interesting, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, before we do that, uh, at, we're gonna start as we've never started before. Uh, with uh, getting Joshua's take on this. Oh. So um, this <laughs> is also a film that neither of us have seen. Yeah, I had not seen this before. Um, although in watching it, I've definitely seen flashes of it. Not not because it was on TV or anything, but just... Like in a dream? <laughs> yes, in a dream. Uh, no, just in like retrospective things, you know, um, some of the imagery of it, I've, I've definitely seen either in books or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, discussions. Uh, I definitely really liked it, you know, at the end of it. Uh, I was like, wow, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on with it that I like. One, it has that, like, you know, Moulin Rouge, how they, like, um, because we were just talking about that, how they have uh, a lot of anachronistic anachronistic things, Mm -hmm. you know? So even though this is set in, like, 1640. One or forty-two or something like that, because that the uh, Grandier he died in forty-three, I think sixteen mm-hmm. forty-three. Mm-hmm. Um, people have like long hippie hair. They have you know the the like main priest is wearing violet tinted sunglass circle sunglasses like he's fucking John Lennon. Uh, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff that like didn't exist in 1643 that they're using. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Kind of also reminded me of like um, Salo, uh, the 140 Days of Sol- Sodom. Mm-hmm. Um, you just so it's like there were things happening in it that like I I really freaking enjoy like the weirdness of the 70s like the Holy Mountain Tommy definitely this was like you know, just the, the weirdness of it all um, but the story I mean I really I I find stories like this terrifying because not only are they like as big a part of our culture and our history, but like they're still here, you know, like there's always going to be, it feels like unless we evolve, you know, people who can be panicked by their like religious fervor into committing horrific atrocities for political gains that they themselves are not the beneficiary of or the, or even aware of. You know, that's kind of what it's about. Like, a lot of the people involved in this don't realize, like, what the king is up to or realize that there are these political machinations. Mm -hmm. They are freaked out about, you know, the devil possessing their priest and making all the nuns fuck each other. (laughs) So it's like... (laughs) Yeah, so... so, so, I know, we'll get into it. So I really enjoyed it. I Uh, liked it. Awesome. Awesome. Good to hear that. I... I did not have a similar experience. No, I'm sure not. There's <laughs> it was, a lot of weird shit in there. It was very weird. Also, like, you know, again, I grew up Catholic. So, right. like, see, so nuns have, a, like, I have a, you know, I have a calendar, nuns having fun. Like, now I'll never be able to look at that calendar the same. I'll be thinking that they're all just going to, you know, strip naked and start, you know, jerking off candles and licking the flame with their tongue. Because um, that did happen in <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Um, so... Basically, what did we mention? This was banned at like every fucking where. Yeah, so like can't get it in some places. Like the moment this film came out, it like became banned everywhere you could, everywhere you could get it. Um, It was streaming for a hot second in like 2017, 2014, um, online, and Shutter picked it up for a little bit. 
it fell off and now you can't get it on Amazon. You can't like, you can't buy a physical copy of the film um, by regular means. I had to go. I mean, like that sounds like I went through the black market. Like I, I went to eBay and um, eBay kind of is like its own kind of black market, (laughs) uh, you know, but like, you know, legal, like, right. You know, like, like poppers VHS cleaners. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. eBay is the poppers of Uh, commerce. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing, you know, that's kind of weird that people still say that because it's like, who has a fucking VHS player anymore? Uh, people who love that's film. the whole thing. Yeah, I, we know a lot of queers who ha- who wow, love film. A lot of gay people love VHS. Yeah, so strange. <laughs> Anyways, um, so so the 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 plot of a very quick and dirty uh, explanation of the plot of the Devils is that uh, there is this priest, Urban Grandier. He is the uh, priest of the St. Peter's Church in uh, Loudon, France. Loudon? Loudon. Loudon, France, um, which is a uh, city, a principality that has like these huge fortifications. And it's a, it's a city that um, is, you know, as is most of France at this time, riddled by plague. But in this particular city, the uh, Protestants, uh, the Huguenots, and the Catholics live in relative peace. Um, uh, <laughs> Father Grandier is also kind of a ladies man. Um, he gets a woman pregnant and basically says, all right, go kick rocks and go deal with your, go deal with the, this baby. Um, he performs his own holy marriage to another woman, uh, later. Um, but m- what his redeeming quality is, is that he is somebody who's trying to protect the sovereignty of his town. Uh, because at the time, uh, according to the history of the time, uh, French principalities have like full sovereignty over themselves and they're not like 100% under the realm of the king. So in the political aspects of the film, you have uh, Grandier uh, basically biting his thumb at the at Cardinal Richelieu, who is based on historical figures. And that's the other thing too, is that this whole film, it says right in big letters, right when you, <laughs> uh, right when you uh, start the film, is that this film is based on something that actually happened. These people actually did exist. Um, the accounts, uh, the accounts of the torture uh are probably more graphic than what is actually shown in the film itself. Uh, But that's, uh, you know, so just kind of keep that in mind as we're talking about this. So Cardinal Richelieu, Louis XIII, um, trying to unite everybody, trying to drive uh, the remaining Protestants out of France. And he is fighting back saying that like, no, I do not want, you cannot tear these walls down. You tear the, to tear these walls down will impede our sovereignty. And, um, then we have Sister Jean, Sister Jean of the Angels, uh, who has a, let's call it unhealthy erotic obsession <laughs> with uh, Grandier. For whatever reason, it's not really explained. I'd also, I would, I would, um, I would uh, trifle with the word unhealthy. Oh, okay. Know? Because okay. I don't think it's unhealthy that these people all want to have sex. And because of the, you know, the times. Yes. You know, but but because of the times they live in, it would be contextualized as unhealthy. As unhealthy, yes. You know, that she's obsessed, but it's because she's not allowed to do it. Yeah. And that's all, when, you know. When it's for the forbidden fruit. Forbidden. Tastes, tastes just as sweet. I yeah. think what I, 
I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I think that again, contextually, just because the time, to talk the later, we'll talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, to contextualize the time, the time period, it's like you know she is the reverend mother of this order of Ursuline nuns, um, a cloistered order. So for those who don't know that there are, um, in the Catholic Church there are various uh, religious and lay orders. Um, when it comes to um, priests, so the priests and um, and uh, and religious women or nuns or sisters. Uh, for priests, there's diocesan priests, and diocesan priests are kind of like your everyday priests that you know minister to a particular diocese of a city of a town. They um, often get transferred <laughs> among right. the dio- among the diocese uh, <laughs> for reasons for unknown. reasons unknown <laughs> only to them. Um, but they they serve. Uh, they serve at the pleasure, and diocesan priests usually serve at the pleasure of a bishop and minister directly to a laity. Cloistered orders um, are, or like special religious orders, are those that kind of that um, are usually founded by a saint or you know a holy person, and they are um, uh, basically have removed themselves to, from society in order to uh, f- you know remain in complete communion with the Holy Spirit and each other and God. So one order that most, like some people may be familiar with is the Carmelite nuns, um, who are a cloistered order, very famously um, a cloistered order. Uh, St. Teresa of Lisieux was a Carmelite nun as well. Um, and in this one, it's the Ursuline order as well. So um, that that scene where, um, I don't even remember her name, but like Gemma, Gemma's character. Yeah, yeah. Where, um, uh, Madeline de yes, Boy. Yes, where she's talking to the Reverend Mother about like joining, becoming a novitiate in the in the in the order. Oh, Madeline de Brew. Um and she's like talking to her like through through bars. Right. Like that is very much something that still occurs uh to this day. I have family members, <laughs> my sister's uh, sister-in-law is actually a Carmelite nun. And so like when they talk to her there, you know, it has to be regulated in that way. Um, Trappist monks, similarly, the Franciscans, the Capuchins, you know, these are all. It's like a self-imposed nun prison. Yes. It's a self-imposed nun jail. Um, but do they, my brother-in-law likes to say that she's locked up. (laughs) That is funny. That's delightful. So do they have people inside or outside that like bring things in and out or can they leave to shop or to, so, so typically like for food, not like they're all running off to, you know, Rodeo. Like, like, yes, to Macy's, (laughs) you know, there's a sale at Nordstrom. Hold on. New habits. (laughs) New habits for everyone. Um, so that's interesting because typically, um, typically the, these or these uh, religious orders that are cloistered are um, are pretty much like self sustaining communes. Like, okay, okay. Um, so they grow their own food. Exactly. Okay. Like um, that makes I, sense. I have I've had a, a teacher in the past say that like you know true communism is akin. True communism is most akin to like what it's like to live in one of these cloistered orders where everybody is entirely equal and you know reaps uh, reaps off the benefits of everything that they make of in, everybody's labor of everybody's right? labor. Each other, right? Yeah. Exactly. So you have that, and then there are people who support them. So they do have like auxiliary people, holy other other holy people who come in and like you know take care of uh, take care of the things that maybe they're not able to do. 
Right. You know, they usually cook for each other, but they're for the most part, they are self-sustaining. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so that's where uh, Sister Jean et al. are, yes. are operating from. I- exactly. So they're operating from this idea. So like the in the first scene when there's like a, there's a big funeral happening and it's the, it's the, our introduction to the kind of, um, ma- majestic beauty that is Father Grandier. Um, and he's, you know, processing through the town. The nuns are all like climbing over each other to get a view of the priest. Yeah, well, that's one of the, um, like the, uh, what was it? Where did it go? Like the quick description for it that I've found in 17th century France, Father Grandier. Uh, is a priest whose unorthodox views on sex and religion influence a passionate following of nuns, including the sexually obsessed Sister Jean. When the power-hungry Cardinal Richelieu... Richelieu? Richelieu? I've always <laughs> said Richelieu. Richelieu. Uh, realizes he must eliminate Grandier to gain control of France. Uh, Richelieu per- uh, portrays Grandier as a Satanist and spearheads a public outcry to destroy the once-loved priest's reputation. Now, I don't get, like... F- from watching it, it's obvious that he's unorthodox, like because he's fucking mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah, um, but he's also portrayed like, especially for the time if we're looking at the seventies, like that mustache, his hair. He's very like rock star. They mm-hmm. definitely kind of portray him that way, like it's a translation, mm-hmm. you know, of of like I, I was kind of like Burt Reynolds. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, it was sixteen thirty four that he was killed. So we mu- mm-hmm. we're sometime in sixteen thirty one, thirty two in this film, uh, or at least the setting of it. Um, but yeah, it's obvious something either either they know that he's like a sexual being or or he does have like cuz there are a few th- times he makes comments that make it seem like he thinks he's okay with God, like God is for the sexual beingness of it all. So, um <laughs> it, it that he just doesn't make- want to do it with her. Uh, yeah. Well, that it's didn't that didn't make sense to me until uh, Richelieu is talking to I think it's the Baron of whatever his name is, the Baron of whatever. Mm-hmm. Baron and they're in that like weird library like looking prison <laughs> like or prison looking library yeah, and yeah. and he's being wheeled around like uh, H- uh Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have Le Bardemont. And uh, you have him basically saying that, like, Grandier is a Jesuit. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, Jesuits <laughs> have that reputation of being a little more loosey-goosey with things. Uh, Jesuits, of course, are found- the order founded by St. Ignatius, um, the Society of Jesus. That's where the Jesuits come from. Um, That's what uh, Father Damien is in um, The Exorcist. He's a Jesuit. Exactly. So the Jesuits have that already kind of like thing uh, in the movie. uh, Yeah. He was. Yeah. He's also, he's very hot in The Exorcist. So that's exactly. The Jesuits are, I mean, Jesuits are pretty hot. Uh, (laughs) Apparently. Um, I'm just thinking about uh, <laughs> this. Or, the Grandier got very hot. <laughs> yeah, Grandier got very hot. Uh, I'm thinking about the movie. Um, I think it's. Uh, I forget if it's the movie. I, I forget what it's called, but it's like Liam Neeson and um, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield. They're like Jesuit uh, missionaries in in Japan. I think wow. it's like it's like I don't know if it's called Hunger or. Um, it, it's like a one word. I, I don't know, but it's like, it, it's, they're all very hot. Like, you know, I think we can all agree that the Jesuits are, um, are a little bit hot, but what, uh, 
his so you know to talk a little bit about like his his uh flexible interpretations of the catechism right um you have he when he takes confession of this woman madeline and um realizes that there is a chemistry between them he takes her in and basically says like there's nothing in the new testament that says that um silence thank you i was knew it was like some one word title um it uh it it basically said like, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says, uh, that says that this is, uh, uh, it's, it's forbidden for a priest to marry. In fact, marriage matrimony is like one of the, um, sacraments. is, is one of the sacraments. One yeah. of the seven sacraments is, is holy matrimony. Um, it's interesting cause like the seven sacraments are, Oh, this is, this is for all you trivia people. Right. So it's like baptism, first communion, um, confirmation, uh, matrimony, uh, confession last rites and then holy orders and holy orders is like to actually become like a priest so it's interesting they have those there because it's like you either get married or you become a priest or after you know you've been married and someone dies then you become a priest i don't know how that works but but those are the seven sacraments so it's interesting that he's saying that because what's um basically he's saying uh, that's a very Protestant idea is the idea that like, you know, the clergy can marry because with other non-Catholic uh, religious denominations, pretty much all other Christian denominations, their holy people can marry. Um, yeah. In, in fact, it'd almost be suspicious if they're not married to some degree in, in certain points of time. Yes. You know, because I definitely know growing up, like, you know, all the like Southern Baptist church we went to, which again, obviously not Catholic, mm-hmm. but um, the pastors always had wives and mm-hmm. they were always like, this is the normal life you want to have, mm-hmm. like the love we have ordained by God. I mean, it was a whole way to yeah. sell that didactic yeah. Yeah. You know. And it's been a more it's been something that's come up a lot in in modern church times always gets brought up a little bit. Yeah, because uh, I always felt it was a little hypocritical. This is one of the ways that I kind of started to peek behind the curtain and really do the investigation about the Catholic Church is the idea that like okay, you um, when when a couple is about to be married in the church, they have to go through what they call the pre-cana classes where, you know, they uh, delve into not only like, you know, basically it's, it's couples counseling before they make the official commitment. And it's always done by like a priest or a deacon or something like that. There's an interview and it just doesn't make any sense to me because I'm like, well, what would you know about being being married? married? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. But so back to Grandier, right? So he has these like, you know, very uh, specific and what he believes like profound ideas of, of how he interacts with himself. Obviously he does like, we know, and especially at the time this movie was made, like priests are not supposed, Catholic priests are not supposed to have sex. You know, usually the vows are the vow of poverty, the vow of obedience, and the vow of chastity. And um, this guy's like basically breaking all of them. Right. Like he's broken every vow there is under the book. Um, and and to me, which is interesting, because like by uh, by horror movie standards, right, he has broken all of his vows, and so therefore he deserves to be punished. Right. Um, yeah. Horror, you know, twisted horror movie morality. Yeah. Um, so, so because of that, you know, he be- gets labeled this like heretic. Um, well, not because of that, actually. It's uh, Sister Jean, you know, uh, as a way to exact revenge on him for, uh, so because she's not able to experience, to be the one who, 
uh, is experienced, who experiences the pleasure of being with Grandier, uh, goes and tells uh, Father Minion, uh, you know, Alan Cumming. Not, it's not Alan Cumming. He looks like Alan Cumming. I know um, you keep calling him that. <laughs> I'm like, Alan Cumming. Yeah, I think that's Gothar. Um, maybe. Um, no, Gothard is uh, Father oh, no, Barre. Yeah, 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 sorry. He, uh, he's John Lennon. He's the, the, the priest that looks like John Lennon. Murray Melvin as, yeah. as Jean Mignon. Yeah. Um, he, uh, that Grandier is an incubus and is a, an, a and uh, has been coming to her uh, and infecting her with uh, desires and dreams. This is really difficult to be leading this whole conversation. I did not think it would be this difficult. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Imagine if there was like 20 students all just staring at you. Yeah. Don't want to <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, I want to be like you talk now, Joshua. <laughs> Hey, girl, this is the, you signed up for this. Um, I guess I, you know, I'm wondering, <laughs> had you learned about this situation before? Like, is this something that gets taught? Like, you know, hey, like, do you know that we burned a Catholic priest at the stake? Like, I mean, no. Or maybe that happened a lot more often than. Well, I mean, like Joan of Arc gets talked about a lot, mm-hmm. like, it, which is funny, right? Because like, oh yeah, Joan of Arc is she's like. She's a saint, right? She's, yeah, Saint Joan she's of Arc, sainted, patron yeah. saint of France. Um, she basically, you know, enlisted, uh, there was like a, in the nineties, like late nineties, that was a whole, like a lot of people were really into like Joan of Arc. Yeah. The I remember messenger. like Lily Zobieski made that film. Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, somebody else. Yeah. I was too. kind of, I was really into her. I think maybe it was like me, my budding queerness looking for like queer representation in the church yeah. and seeing it in like, you know, this woman who basically pretended she was a man. Right. Um, she did a Mulan and uh but you know mulan also didn't you know s- didn't say that she like heard the voice of god and the voice of the angels speak to her and minister to her right um but again like the church also was the one who like set her on fire right <laughs> and burned her at the stake as well yeah also probably because of political motivations exactly which again are at the heart of, of and misogyny let's yeah of let, course yeah, yeah misogyny no, obviously as well. <laughs> But I, I, that's one thing that, you know, will always will probably be brought up at, like, every turn is, like, that kind of hypocrisy of it, right? Where it's just, like, there is a lot of um, the entanglement between um, the entanglements between the, like, the Roman Catholic Church's history of being, like, you know, a giant real estate holder, a bank, a source of political, uh, a source of political and governmental power, um, and how it affected those people's lives by imperialism and genocide and all of that. And then at the same time, also like the other, the other half of that and the truth that other people hold is that it's a sort of like source of great comfort. It's a path to redemption to see the warmth of the be, you know, experience the warmth and loving embrace of God. Um, it's, you know, again, holding two things at the same time. Yeah, which is interesting too. Like if we put it in the historical context of the film, because in the in this also in the historical context of the film is like this is post the religious wars that took place in France during the reign of Louis. Like this is Louis the Thirteenth. I think in actuality it was probably Louis the Fourteenth or the Fifteenth that was in this part. But um, from what I was reading before, but one of the reasons the Huguenots, the you know French Protestants, like you know wanted to. Uh, remove themselves from Catholicism is because the Catholic uh, hierarchy, Catholic structure was very much rooted in the worldly, 
in worldly things. Right. Was very much entangled with politics, with like every day. Um, and like the way the church is kind of structured is that, you know, the cardinal cardinals are like, you know, holy princes of the church because they are the ones the College of Cardinals is who you choose to be Pope, and Pope is the, you know, the the vicar of Christ on earth. And so um, it's actually quite ironic that, <laughs> that that is what is happening because they're being, uh, the church is further proving why the Protestants should, <laughs> why the Protestants are correct in this right. film. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Joshua, say more things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I'm, I, you took notes too. So I, oh, no, of I course, of sure. course. But I mean, I wanted to hear sort of like the, the Catholicism of it all, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, that was nice. You gave us a nice sure. little education on the way that these things, and I know this is, I know that you kind of have a, like each of the films will explore a different kind of area. So with mm-hmm. this, it's, this is very priests yep. and nuns and what they're supposed to be doing, what they're not supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, so it's also a good, sorry, sorry. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, it's yeah. also a good, in like because in like that era like the 1600s you know like that that era they're they're still trying to figure out like what the form of the mass kind of looks like and so when he's taking confession in the church like the churches just used to be like just giant halls right that mass would go on and people would be doing things it's not so formal now where you know kneel stand sit down whatever and he's just like you know hiding behind a pillar taking confession with people there like i thought that was really great um the scene with Cardinal or not Cardinal Father Barre, the the exorcist, is there, and the Duke or the the King, you know, I think it's the King is there too, and he's like holding the monstrance. Uh, that's the other thing, the, the the kind of big relic that he's holding that has like the consecrated body yeah. of Christ in it, which is exposed when you're expo- which is often um, exposed and venerated by the faithful as like. Because we, you know, one of the things that makes Catholics fundamentally different from all other Christian denominations is that when we take communion, um, we actually believe that through the transubstantiation, the bread is actually becomes the manifestation of the body of Christ and Christ becomes present in that moment. And so when the, when the bread is consecrated, the, um, that is like Jesus. So like when he is holding that monstrance and like, and uh, that's what the device is called. The he and, and it's being pointed at like sister Jean and sister Jean or whatever. Um, he is like invoking literal Jesus Christ in front of her. And so, I found it interesting when he was doing that. And then like, you know, we think that there's like the blood of Christ in this little box and it's actually what holds all the, you know, the Turkish delight or whatever that like those instruments are being used uh, to um, exorcise these demons and these devils. Right. And though they're like accurate depictions of, yeah. 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 I, um, I just found myself thinking a lot about, again, like, what is this story, like, trying to to say? Because we know that it's based on um, Aldous Huxley's book, the, the Devils of Loudon, and then John Whiting's play, The Devils, which is, you know, this kind of pulls from it, although it is put through Ken Russell's lens, which is, you know, its own thing. Uh, I don't even know if we gave, like, a content warning about this film, but, man, there if you do manage to track it down and see a copy of it, or if you've seen it in the past, it has some bonker scenes in it, lots of new Nudity, 
lots of torture, know, torture, and like other things, uh, stuff you know hinted at and shown. It's it's kind of it's a mess. But uh, what I was thinking again, but uh, I say that, but also I thought it was a great film. Like I think it really tells a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And again, like I was saying at the beginning about like the ferocity of religious fervor, you know. But what it also got me thinking about is, you know, we're looking at, it's 1971 when he's making this film, or when it's released, so they're making it whatever, you know, the year before, maybe, you know, early 71. And, uh, you know, so we're out of the 60s, we're out of like... you know, Woodstock has happened. This We're post second Vatican council also, right. which is a big deal that happens that happened mid century. Why? Why is it a big deal? Um, because that's where we move away from the Latin. So like the, okay. the, um, the original mass, uh, the Latin mass that was said, uh, pre Vatican two, um, there was a, there was a determination that mass should be said in the vernacular. So it should be said in the language of wherever, the people are. When did that happen? Uh, Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council, I believe, was 1962 to 64. So in America, up until that point, if you went to a Catholic church, you heard the, the, like the mass given in Latin. In anywhere in the world, if you went to a Catholic church, you heard it in Latin. Um, and the, that's one of the things that Sorry, people yeah, I who guess that makes sense. Um, I was asking about American. Oh no, but um, yeah, yeah, but like, but, but that's yeah. one of the things that people who are who miss like people who were proponents of having the mass in mass in, in no matter where you went in one language right. is so that way it's the universal it was like the universal language of the church so of no course. matter where you went you knew that you know in nomine parte di Filii spirito santi was the whole you know the name of the father suddenly goes, you, you know, know what it is. Yeah. You know exactly what it is. Yeah. And now that's um, like gone probably for a lot of younger Catholics. I mean, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you can still, you know, mass is still done in the same way. So even, you know, I, I know stories of people like who have gone to like, you know, uh, Spanish speaking masses and know exactly what's going on because the mass is very, you know, you just don't know what is being preached. It's very traditional. Yeah. Very traditional. Yeah. Um, this is also another, um, one of the changes to the mass as well was, uh, um, and they and they they show it briefly in here uh, in the film, but um, w- when the priest is uh, consecrating the Eucharist and he's holding it up, he he is facing the same direction as the congregation. Um, a lot of people like to say he has his back to the people when in actuality he's facing in the same direction as they all look together toward God. The ch- that change happens after Vatican II, where he actually faces the people now, and the transubstantiation happens in front of the people there. But the main thing was that, like you know, mass was put in the vernacular. Okay. Well, again, I guess that's not. I don't like in watching this. I'm not sure how much the Catholicism at all really. I mean, it matters to the story but again I think this this reminded me a lot of the crucible yeah so you know we're using the crucible we're using the Salem witch trials to talk about McCarthyism you know Mm -hmm. this feels very much like it is sort of that I mean coming out of like the sexual revolution you know and you have like this time where you know like second wave feminism is taking is taking root you know or is growing and you know and mm-hmm. there's lots of conversations about the freedom of sexuality of women that fe- this feels very much like an allegory for that and like this sort of like you know response but again it's hard to say cuz i don't know enough about ken russell 
to know because you know if you look at the film it's like about this like sexually free dude who's like accused of bad things by a sexually repressed woman mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and then it's like and then everybody gangs up to murder this dude and then she's left you know masturbating with his femur <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. um, that was cut out of the it, that's true but I but it, yeah. it's hinted a little bit at just because of the phallic way it kind of looks laying there but it that is part of the original um, film uh, yeah it makes you wonder like exactly what's trying to be said because for, for this to come out at that time you know you do have this like I mean, she makes, um, Jean makes a, an interesting comment at the beginning where it's like, you know, oh, you know, basically, we're not all here because we choose to be or because we love God. We're here because we're poor. We're here because our families didn't know what else to do with us or couldn't feed us or blah, 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 blah. We're here because um, we're no, ugly. men don't want us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We're unwanted. Uh, you know, and I don't think we mentioned, but Jean is portrayed as sort of a hunchback. Um, she's got, I think her original story, she was injured somehow. Mm-hmm. Like she was um, like disabled. Uh, I don't know if her back, cause she looks a little bit like, um, what is it? Zelda from pet cemetery. <laughs> like she has that kind of scary look mm-hmm. to her back, but otherwise it's Vanessa Redgrave who's gorgeous, you know? So it's like a weird thing. Um, juxtaposition happening with her character you just so you have this like women are kind of like jailed for reasons beyond their control in a way and forced in into the she definitely feels like one of these people like i like sure she says all the right things mm-hmm. and she's a nun and blah 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 she's mother superior actually i think within this yes. film yep. you know uh but she really would like to be out there fucking that guy, that mm-hmm. priest, Lil Grandier, you know? So it's like, there are things being said about like sexual repression. And at this time, that was such like a hot conversation, such uh, well, hot Jesus. There's so many puns in this, but it was <laughs> such like, I mean, you know, we all have lived, you know, at least those of us that are, you know, our age and younger, like have lived in a world that is so sexually like charged, like everywhere. Whereas at this time period in the seventies, things weren't yet that uh, like, like they are now. I mean, we were starting to get Mm -hmm. it obviously. I mean, in playboy and like things like, like sex has obviously always been around. Um, but this sort of like backlash to people having like sexual freedom, Mm You know, so I feel like there's a lot of that conversation happening in this and about the politics of that. And then on top of it, of course, like just war and imperialism and all the, you know, mm-hmm. these sorts of things that were very prominent at this time, you know, when we're talking about, you know, different wars that were going on and, mm-hmm. you know, the anti-war movement, Woodstock had happened, you know, like I said earlier. So there was just this different kind of air. And I just feel like, yeah, there's a lot of conversations having having about that, but also like sort of like the fear of like the free liberated woman, like destroying, you know, powerful men, taking down the patriarchy. Like this one woman's accusation leads to the complete annihilation of this city within the context yeah. of the movie. Like yeah. they use her accusation to kill him and then take over you know, they blow the city. Well, it's all about taking France over, you know, it's yeah. about, it's about power and control and domination by like using her. And at the base of her motive is like sexual repression. So it's a convoluted message. Like I'm yeah. not exactly sure. Again, I don't know enough about Ken Russell at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and because this wasn't, you know, 
uh, that you're you're in the driver's seat. I also didn't look, and I'm yeah. gonna have to because I would like to know because it's like, what is he trying to say? Like with this film, like why tell this story? Why adapt these books and these plays? Like, um, you know, I mean, uh, maybe he is just like, no, it has nothing to do with any of this. It's really just about I wanted to show a a film version of this horrible thing that yeah. happened in 1634. <laughs> yeah. And now you all I know wanted about to it. adapt an, a, a book by Aldous Huxley. Right. You yeah. know, but, um, a not, yeah, exactly. A nonfiction book by mm-hmm. Huxley. <laughs> yeah. I, but I just felt like there's just no way kind of getting around like the conversation to happening. I mean, it could be expanded on and, you know, again, I, we could do more research or, or look at it and kind of see, you know, maybe there are some more, ways to contextualize but I just kind of sat there thinking a lot about her um, and about her role in the whole thing and how like her how she's used like her sexual uh, whatever you want to call it repression oppression you know is used to like destroy an entire society that was otherwise good yeah you know so again and and that's like something wielded by you know misogynists and people that you know are pro patriarchy. It's like, you know, if we let, you know, if women can do this kind of stuff, if women have freedom and are liberated and can get jobs, they're going to destroy the whole world. Like everything's going to fall apart. Society will collapse. You know what I'm saying? But even then, so like even to that point, right. Where, um, where she was able to manipulate, you know, she was able to, I saw Goody Proctor with the devil, right? So she was able to be not only this man's undoing, but like ultimately this town's undoing, right? Right. Even then it still came at like, so like great physical cost to herself because they were, they sub in the, in the film, they subjected her to a series of exorcisms that were quite violent and brutal and bloody. Um, and, and sexual and, and very and sexual very yeah which you know I mean it's I didn't I couldn't tell if maybe she enjoyed that uh, to be quite honest right. um, well she was giving herself enemas later after enduring yeah. one so I, yeah I don't know it's very messy again yeah. I mean we're also talking about this is why I wish I kind of knew more about Ken Russell and you know uh, I don't know maybe there is a misogynistic you know view on display here you know because it's just such a strange thing for a woman to be like violated in such a way publicly mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. like later be doing the same thing to herself so there's a lot of stuff again like yeah. i said it is a messy yeah and i thought that was the know. gag too i, I right. thought that was the gag where like the baron comes and sees her and they have that that moment that moment after the the good person has died where they you figure like oh they were conspiring together the whole time or it yeah. feels that way yeah it's yeah um yeah. to kind of start wrapping this up a little yeah. bit i actually found um i found roger ebert's review of the devils uh from 1971 oh interesting from january 1st 1971 um i what don't lady ebert say uh, well i i kind of don't know how he felt about it because like he did give it to he did give it a thumbs down <laughs> um and the and the uh I don't know if I should read the review from a sincere tone or from a mocking tone, because when you take into account intent, it changes what he means entirely. But so that being said, again, what, what I'm going to read is is some part of our last bit of reflection. Um, 
The Devils has a message for our time, for we learn from the mistakes of the past. We live in a time we live in a time of violence, and it is only by looking in the mouth of the devil that that we can examine his teeth. In a time where our na- when our nation is responsible for violence on a global scale, it is only by bearing witness to violence on a personal scale that we can bring the war home. Hmm. I, uh, yeah, I would, I would say. So, you know, thinking again about context, thinking again about, you know, how it, it oftentimes, right, you know, this, you know, the... It's not about the Catholic Church. Again, I feel like, I, I like you said, and the more we talk about it, the more I think about it and reflect. It's more a political movie than it is... Um and it is a religious movie, but it, but also too, it it kind of highlights highlights that um, very ancient history that the Catholic Church has by being um, intrinsically entwined with like governmental, political, yeah, military power. Colonization. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Colonization, yeah. all yeah. of that. No, I a hundred percent. I mean, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to like be dismissive of the Catholic themes because I do think they're very important and because of because we should have like a critical lens to that, you know, like it's very interesting to be talking about Jesus, peace on earth while we're helping like mm-hmm. destroy the world. But I but to your point though, and and I think where we're I think where we're both agreeing is that it's illustrating it it's illustrating like this certain like the certain level of misogyny and talking about control and the power of belief because i mean there really is nothing more dangerous than like a zealot with power right Right. like that's like the true villain of the whole like you know speak what you will but for me the true scare the scariest person of this whole film is uh father Barre, the exorcist because he actually believes what he's doing is not only casting the devil out, but is helping. Right. You know, the Baron understands it's a means to an end. You kind of get the feeling that sister Jean understands it's a means to an end. Even Grandier, like everyone is aware of everything, but he is the one and, and using his zealotry and weaponizing it is what ends up being Grandier's undoing. And we see that, currently now right politicians use it all the time politicians there are zealots in politics that are doing it and there's nothing more dangerous than that it's the same thing i've talked about with midsommar where it's like the the capacity for human cruelty is when when fueled by fervent belief religious or otherwise is boundless right and that is scary Absolutely. And um, I'm looking forward to continue to explore that theme over the next uh, over the next few weeks with you. Ah, well, good job on uh, day on day one of your of your of your dissertation defense of my defense. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Dear listener, if you could find a copy of the devils, like do it. Check it out. It's very weird. but uh, we are warning you very Yeah, graphic, it's on so. eBay, so, you know, order go. it from Korea. Make sure it fits this region's DVD players, our there region's DVD players. Yeah. All righty. Well, until next time. Good night. Peace be with you, Joshua. And also with you or something. Uh, yeah, may the force. School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. 
Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Geekscape Network. 